Okay. Well, if you have, uh, of course, last week we had a little break. Uh, Brother Cook came in and spoke to us, and I hope you enjoyed that weekend. He had some very good lessons, I thought. Um, very well spoken, and uh, he's just he, he, he just a country boy, you know. But he's a country boy who loved the Lord and uh, was able to speak plainly, and I thought very good lessons and, and stuff that was taken to heart. <clears throat> if you've been in our class the last few months, you know we've been looking at recently the case for creation and what that means. And we're going to have about three more lessons in this today and then the next two Sundays. And then we'll start a study of Colossians. And you, uh, So I know, the, I know the new quarter has begun, but we need to finish this study up. And the next two weeks will be on evolution and some things dealing with evolution. So they're going to be good lessons, and uh, I hope you can be here. But today, we're going to look at the case for a literal six 24-hour days of creation, okay? And maybe you say, well, that's, lo that's logical. Of course, it's only six days. Maybe you're saying that. Well, as we've talked about, if you've been here, there are a lot of people out there in the world who would disagree with you, right? They would say, it can't be six days because the earth is 4.5 billion years old. So it can't just be six days of creation because then you've got to say, well, the earth's only 6,000 years old, you know? Or they might say the universe has been around 14 billion years. So you have that crowd, right? And then you have the crowd that says evolution. They believe in the theory of evolution and that things evolved from a one-celled organism out of the primordial soup, and here we are. All these delicate, intricate, complex systems that we see in the world today, and you think, how can that be? How can stuff like that just happen randomly? Yet you have people who argue to the teeth, through their teeth, argue to the death that that's the case. So we have to be prepared for that, right? We have to look at things and try to understand, well, how can I make a case that creation is literally six 24-hour days, right? And we look, we've looked at history, we've looked at some things to try to back this up in our study. We looked at biblical, uh, biblical uh, reasons for creation. Of course, you know, you don't have to go very far into the Bible to read about creation, right? Right there in Genesis 1. And we read many other verses that we can see where there are references to God creating the universe, God creating the world, God creating man and the, and the creatures that roam the earth. So it's not hard to find that in the Bible. But we also looked at a philosophical case, several philosophical cases, just, just things like, you know, you go out into, uh, into the wilderness and you look at the mountains, right, and, and there's a sense of beauty, right, a sense of awe about it. And you say to yourself, how could that just happen randomly, right? Or you look at, look at things in the way a child is made up and it's just born. It's so miraculous, it seems like, that that could happen. How could that be just something that happens randomly from evolution, right? And then we looked at scientific cases, right? Looking at things like the very molecular level, at the very minute level of a cellular organism, and how, you know, you, generally speaking, uh, mechanically speaking, whatever, you're told that complex systems generally come from simpler systems, yet you can look at a cell and see the makeup of it, and it's very complex, right? Or single-cell organisms and how complex they are, very small. So there's things in science that we can see and look at and think, that couldn't have just happened randomly, right? There had to be a creator. And of course, we looked at the historical account. And we saw how Jesus said in Mark 10 that since the beginning of creation, man, uh, God has instituted marriage, right? And we'll look at that a little bit today. And that, by that, we know Jesus existed through history. We have record, we have secular records of it about him and so forth. So we know 
historically that he existed, no matter what somebody might try to tell you. So, well, okay, that's all well and good, but today we're going to look at that literal six-day creation. Remember the last time we had a study on this, we were looking at different views that people had, particularly people trying to use the Hebrew word yom, which is used for day in Genesis, and trying to say, well, yom can also be an era or a, a long time, right? Not just a 24-hour period and things like that and try to say, well, perhaps these six days were ages. Perhaps the first day was a long period of time. I don't know, maybe the paleon, paleon what do you call it? Paleontolithic age or the Iron Age. I don't know. You got all these ages that you study about in science and history. But I'm going to try to prove to you today that yom means 24 hours, in this case particularly. If you read Genesis 1, and we'll do that in a little bit, and you just come from no background, no theological, religious background, and you read Genesis 1, what do you think you're going to think about the six days of creation? My, my view is if I just picked up a Bible for the first time and started reading Genesis 1, I'm going to think that that's six days of creation, 24-hour days, the days that I know about, right? That I wake up in the morning, I have a new day. I go to bed at night, that's the end of a new day, that's the end of that day. Then I wake up the next morning, I have another day. That kind of thing, right? So I, it's very simply speaking, very simply speaking, easy to see that, right? That it, it just makes, means six days. And, and really, another old prophecy is usually the simplest explanation is the true explanation, right? Usually it's that way. But we have to be ready to defend our faith because the theory of evolution, this popular theory that you hear today in school and everywhere else, has caused many to set that aside and say, well, it can't be six literal 24-hour days. It has to be something else. It has to be longer or something so we can understand what this really means, right? Well, I'm going to talk about some good reasons to take the Genesis account at face value. One of these, and you'll see this in your outlines if you got them, is there are many Hebrew lexicons, Hebrew, Hebrew uh, writers, scribes, you might say, that have written dictionaries and things about, uh, that try to explain things, and not every one of them, well, not every one of them, but there are many that will use creation and the word yom to mean a 24-hour day. You have these in your outline here. There's a few, the Dictionary of Classical Hebrew, a Hebrew and English lexicon of the Old Testament, the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament, the New International Dictionary of the Old Testament, and the Dictionary of Biblical Languages. All of these refer to Yom as a literal 24-hour day. And I don't know, I think our day may be ending. It's getting a little dark in here. Okay. All right. So, you have a lot of folks that have written uh, lexicons, dictionaries, uh, regarding the Hebrew language that simply refer to the word Yom as a literal 24-hour day. We're going to look at that a little bit further. When yom is used in the singular, and I know I'm getting grammatical here, and I don't like to get English or grammatical because I hated English when I was in school. I hated having to do those diagrams or whatever you call them. But when it's used in the singular in the Bible, it's always found in connection with a 24-hour day. In fact, the only time it's ever really used in the, Hebrew, in the, in the Old Testament where it refers to something longer than a 24-hour day is in connection with 
a combination of phrases or a prepositional phrase, right? You remember that? Or some kind of special linguistic and contextual connection, which indicates clearly that it's not a literal 24-hour day, okay? <clears throat> if, the, if those special linguistic uh, connections or compound phrases or prepositional phrases or whatever are not there, then pretty much the, you, you, you take the normal meaning of yom, which would be a 24-hour day. So we have that. Now, there are many still will try to say the word yom in Genesis does not mean a day because it doesn't line up with the age of the earth or it doesn't line up with the theory of evolution. But they'll try to change that around and, and um, you know, twist it. But we have other things besides just the way the word is used in language. For instance, you have the symmetric, you have a, a numeric qualifiers. There are numeric qualifiers to the way the word is used, right? When we're reading through Genesis, and we'll do that in a minute, you have what? The first day, God created this and this. Then you have the second day, God created this and this. The third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day. And then what happened on the seventh day? He rested. So you have a chronological order of things that are referenced there. All right? When those words are referenced with uh, numbers, numerically speaking, it makes a sequential continuation of the narrative, right? Of the phrases. And when they're qualified with a number, it's almost invariably used in a literal sense. Okay? In other words, the number qualifications suggest that the word yom in creation means a 24-hour, a literal 24-hour literal day. Sequential numbing of the ordinal number first through six for each day of the creation week followed by the seventh date indicates a chron chronological progression of days. Well, what's so big a deal about that? I mean, you know, you can say anything you want, right? What seems as significant, though, is that sequential emphasis um, Without any break, is without any break in temporal interruption, the seven-day scheme or the schema of the week of six days comes from creation, right? In fact, we know about a seven-day week from creation. Do we have a seven-day week? Yeah. We work six days. Well, not, not necessarily. Some of us might. And we rest on the seventh day, right? Or sometimes we get that out of order, right? But we know about a chronological order of a week, referencing going back to creation, the days of creation. Okay, let's turn over to Genesis 1, and we're going to read that chapter. And I want you to pay attention to the wording, okay? Yeah, you've read Genesis 1 many times, I know, and uh, you kind of can glaze over it, you know. You know the gist of it, right? But pay attention to the wording that we see about the numbers and how they're used and the things that are said. Beginning in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. 
Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Notice the chronological order here. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded <clears throat> according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed him saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the, birds, I mean, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth each according to its kind and it was so and God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All right. We've got a lot of stuff there, right? And you read that and say, okay, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. But did you pay attention to the order of how that happened? Because that's significant in making a defense for a six, day, a, a 20, six 24-hour literal days. Notice how he refers to each day. He kind of stamps, that gives that stamp of the end of the day. Evening and morning, and it was the first day. Evening and morning, it was the second day. 
evening and morning was the third day, and on and on and on. These are used in context with Yom 19 times beyond the six uses in Genesis 1. Also, uh, there are 38 times where they're not used with Yom. They're used consistently each time with Yom to mean literal days, literal 24-hour days. Oh, well, that's interesting because you can kind of reference other scriptures in the Bible to kind of help you understand these scriptures, right? Makes sense. So here we have a chronological ordering of the days. Here we have a reference. Evening and morning was the first through the six days. That tells you pretty much that Yom means 24 hours, right? We have evenings. We have mornings. We just had a morning. We're in the morning. We know what that means, right? Do you think that was put there by per, on purpose to help us understand that perhaps? Perhaps God knew that there was going to be a time when you might have to defend his creation. How he did it, right? Interesting put. Interesting way to look at things. A couple other things we want to mention. Problems that we have with the sequence of events. When people try to say, well, perhaps these days mean ages or years or a long time, more than one 24-hour day. <clears throat> Notice in Genesis 1 and 11 through 12, what did he say was created there? Well, let's just go back and look at it. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, God saw that it was good. What happens when you have a lot of vegetation? I just talked about it, right? When we first started this morning. You have a lot of insects, right? You have a lot of bees or worms or moths or whatever you call them that come in and feed on that stuff, right? But what else do they do when they do that? They help the plants and vegetation to prosper, right, to grow. Flowers need, uh, bees take pollination from flowers, and then what do they do with that? You know, they, they make honey, they pass that pollen around, right? Gets all over your deck in your backyard, gets all over your car in April. But there's a symbiotic relationship, right, between the insects and our vegetation that occurs, Okay. We see here the vegetation was created on what day was it? The third day. Interesting. Okay. Turn over to verse 24. Let's read something there. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps like worms on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good what day was that the sixth day because he goes on to talk about man being created on the sixth day three days later okay interesting since plants have to have a symbiotic relationship with insects if that was three eons after the creation of vegetation, wouldn't that kind of make it hard to have a symbiotic relationship between plants and insects? You got a lot of plants being created. 
but no bugs. All right? Well, you might say, well, God could have kept them alive, right? Well, true, but what's evolution going to tell you? There's no God. It's everything evolves. And they're going to say, they're going to look at nature today and say, well, yeah, it's always been this way, right? Because we can date it. If it, it's always been this way, so we can trust carbon dating, which has always been this way, so we can trust the way the earth has progressed over these billions of years, that's what they're going to say, right? Sure, we know God can make something live without having to have bugs, I guess. But that goes against that theory that it's been ages and ages, right? Interesting. Another problem. If days are figurative, and, there's, uh, and if you follow consistency of interpretation here, the time must be expended for uh, periods of light, right? And along with that, you've got to extend a period of darkness, right? So if, these, if Yom is referring to ages or years, you've got to say that light is not just occurring for the time of a 24-hour day or 16 hours or however many hours we have of light. Right? It's got to be ages or eons or years, right? We also have darkness the same way. I know we have places up in the north part of the earth, I guess Alaska, have you ever been up there in the winter, where you're pretty much dark all the time. But what's the vegetation like during that time? It's covered with snow, I know. Trees don't have leaves on them, everything goes dormant, right? Well, can you imagine what it would be like if you had ages of darkness? Don't think you'd have much left. Because, right, because don't, uh, don't plants have to have the sun? The chlorophyll stuff that turns everything green, right? So you can kind of see the problem with that, right? If you're going to say yom means air or air or ages, you got a problem with the light and the dark. This would completely make plant and animal life unable to exist, if that's the case, right? Okay, well, there are also some scriptural uh, problems, scriptural considerations that we have to look. There's two passages that deal with the regulations around the Sabbath, all right? Let's turn over to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. <coughs> And I don't know, maybe some of you have, have kind of thought that, that maybe Yom means ages. But these are excellent things to think about that kind of, you got to wonder and how it would be explained away. I, I've never talked to an evolutionist about it, but I would love to see what they have to say. Turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. All right. Here we have a reference of the Sabbath and, and, and that the Israelites are supposed to work six days, rest on the Sabbath, right? This, as I've already mentioned, comes from the creation, just as he references there. You see that in Exodus, right? In this example, we see God creating the earth in six literal days and resting on the seventh, just like the Israelites were supposed to do. 
Another text. Turn over to Exodus 31. Let's read a text from there. 31. And begin in verse, uh, let's begin in verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath rest of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Here we have the explanation for having a seven-day work week, a seven-day week, six days of work, seventh day's rest. Because the Lord did it in six days, and the seventh day he rested. I kind of have a hard time seeing that referring to six eons, and then he rested on the seventh eon. Don't you? I guess you can make a case. Well, he, he, could, be, he could be referring back to a, you know, generally referring back to it or whatever, but I think that makes a pretty good statement to say the Sabbath was the seventh day, just like Jesus rested, I mean, just like God rested on the seventh day. Interesting. The Israelites were following the example of the divine. God gave them an example, and they're following that, and they're commanded to do it, right? They're in Exodus. Okay, what about stuff in the New Testament? Well, we can see some things there as well. What about the origin of man and marriage being from the beginning? Turn over to Mark chapter 10. And let's look at that for a minute. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to begin in verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote, from, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice what he says there. He said this is from the beginning of creation. Not in the seventh eon, not in the fourth age, not in the 27th year, at the beginning. Well, we just read in Genesis 1 about making a male and female, right? And the marriage thing, right? So, if man wasn't created until six eons after the beginning, that passage really doesn't make sense, does it? Turn over to uh, Genesis 1.27. Let's just read that again. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. 
he created them. This is the beginning. It's the sixth day, but it's the beginning of creation. He just created the animals. He just created the vegetation. He formed the seas, created light, put the sun and the moon up there. Everything is set for man to exist. <coughs> Jesus said it's been that way since the beginning of creation. The institution of marriage followed, of course. It was after, it was, uh, if it was ages after the beginning of a creation, then this would not be a true statement. Right? Simple as that. Seems to me. What else? Death and corruption was a consequence of Adam's sin. We know that, right? Eve ate of the fruit, gave it to Adam, and they sinned. What happened to them because of that? They realized they were naked, and they got cast out of the Garden of Eden, right, because of their sin. Sin came into the world. They knew good and evil all of a sudden. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Let's just see what they said. Two verse uh, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Hmm. Total 1 Corinthians 15. Apparently death had not occurred yet. There was no death until this happened. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, wait a minute, for since by man came death. Oh, now I see. He's referring back to the Garden of Eden when they ate of the fruit. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. What, who's he talking about there? For as in Adam all die because of Adam's sin. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. When we come into Christ, we're made alive. We, the only thing we have to hope for under Adam is death. We're born in the world, just like Adam. All we have to look forward to is death. Well, you don't look forward to it, I guess, but you have death. By Christ, we are made alive. Interesting statements there. Man, by man's sin, the earth was cursed. If the days of Genesis 1 are long periods of time, death and corruption occurred long before Adam, right? Because it was at the beginning. Turn over to Romans 8. Go down to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with moanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, we are yearning for the resurrection. We are yearning for that eternal life in the kingdom. Right? Because of man's sin, creation is corrupted. Because of man's sin, death enters the world. If that occurred with Adam, then it has to be six days. Because that's in the beginning. That's the way it's been since then. Okay. A couple of examples there. A few examples of how this can be. In your outlines, there's some resources if you want to look at them at the end. But uh, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to read those, but there's several that uh, Brother Copeland keeps in here for the six literal 24-hour days. There's hundreds of books out there about it. Uh, of course, there's a lot of books to say the other way, too. But before you reject God creating all things in a 24-hour day, you got to be consistent, right? you got to look at the Hebrew syntax as found in the Bible. you got to try to understand what that means exactly. Yeah, you don't have to know the Hebrew. That's what we tried to explain, like around the word yom and so forth. What was meant by that in the Hebrew? Is it in harmony with the rest of the biblical record? And I think we tried to show you that. That there are other examples of things that can help you understand Genesis 1. It's pretty easy to say, well, I, I believe this or that, and yeah, maybe evolution is involved with it, so maybe it is true that it could be ages. I mean, what's the big deal, right? You know, I, I believe God created the universe, but it could be more than one day, right? That's okay. Is that true? When you're making a defense for your faith to someone, and you try to say, well, this coincides with evolution, you've got to be careful, don't you? You've got to be making sure that the Bible, if it's all true, that it is all true. You can't say that part of it is not, or part of it means something else, right? You've got to be careful with that. Because once you start doing that, then you can throw everything out. You can even say, Jesus wasn't resurrected, right? Because how would you know what's true and what's not? How would you be able to tell that? There are those in Christendom or religion that say that. Well, these are more traditions. This is not necessarily true. Many will say they don't even know if Paul actually ever existed. I've heard that. Imagine that. <clears throat> you got to be careful when you're talking to someone about your faith. So, if you're going to talk about creation, that's heavily involved with this theory of evolution, which is very popular, right? Especially in our schools, especially in popular culture. You've got to know how to defend that, right? These are very good examples. I cannot imagine if I believed in evolution and I believed in eons of ages, how anybody can reckon with some of this stuff. Right? I believe the Word of God is completely true, absolutely, all of it. I have to, to be a Christian, because how in the world am I going to know what's right if I don't? 
I believe that God has kept his word for us, preserved throughout ages, years, and it will throughout eternity because his word was always, is always going to be there, right? Remember Daniel's dream? At the end, the feet are destroyed by the rock representing the kingdom of heaven that will be here for eternity. So keep things like that in mind. Remember, you have to believe that the scriptures all true, that it's all inspired of God. If not, you don't really have anything. I know there will be people that will say otherwise, but if they say that, then they don't have it. They don't believe. They don't truly understand the nature of God. All right, I'm starting to preach. I guess I need to stop. All right, like I said, the next two weeks we're going to get into some problems with evolution, and I think it'll be interesting, and then we'll start a study of Colossians. Time is